Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 739 with Brian Ahern. We got Brian back again because he just has so much good wisdom and a good heart when it comes to talking about influence in a way that feels good and wholesome as opposed to sleazy and yucky. So you'll learn one, the secret to liking and being liked. Two, how to use contrast to be more persuasive. And three, how to use LinkedIn to create real-life connections. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned here, please pay us a visit over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP739. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some cool stuff like the gold nugget email summaries, the full text searchable transcripts, the ability to peruse back catalog episodes by the topic or competency covered. A lot of goodies at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's some goodies about Brian. Brian Ahern is the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People, an international trainer and consultant. Brian specializes in applying the science of influence in everyday situations. He's one of only a dozen individuals in the world who holds the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation. We also interviewed Bob Cialdini, who is fantastic. Brian's first book, Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are lasting and ethical, get it, it's an acronym, was named one of the top 100 influence books of all time by Book of Authority. His LinkedIn courses have been viewed by more than 400,000 people around the world. Big thanks to Brian for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Brian. Brian, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you for having me on, Pete. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to to hear some more wisdom about influence coming out of your book, The Influencer, Secrets to Success and Happiness. But first, I think we need to hear a little bit about, for your wife's 52nd birthday, you had quite, you orchestrated quite the gifting situation. Tell us the story. I did. I I like to give unique gifts to my wife. And when she turned 52, I thought, what can I do? It's not a birthday that people typically celebrate. And when I ask people, what do you think of with the number 52? Most often I hear them say, that's the number of cards in a deck of cards. True. Mm -hmm. But there's also 52 weeks in a year. So my gift to her was a gift a week for the entire year. So every weekend, whether it was Saturday or Sunday, I had a gift for her to open up. So we're talking about a physical item. Yes. Hot dog. Every week there was something that was wrapped that she got an opportunity to unwrap and and it was a surprise. How do you even think of 52 relevant? Give us some examples. It's tricky. My anniversary, wife's birthday and Christmas come all in the month of December. 
Mm-hmm. So I've really got to be like thinking ahead of the game. <laughs> like, okay, which gift is for which occasion? And I find it challenging. And so you've done 52 of them. What's the trick? Yeah. Well, the trick was one, I was a good listener, paid attention to things that she was saying. And then two, I incorporated the help of my daughter. So sometimes we'd go to the mall and she might say, oh, mom wants this uh, eyeshadow, but she just didn't want to get it for herself. She thought it was a little bit expensive. So I would pick it up. And what I did, Pete, was I always had anywhere from five to eight gifts at the ready. So I kept them in a bin and I would bring them upstairs from the basement and then she could shake the boxes and choose the one that she wanted. So I was never under pressure like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to get her this week? So my daughter was a huge help. And between that, we just got some momentum. And the more I did it, actually, the easier it got. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's, I imagine, you know, with any skill that there's building and development, it kind of reminds me of doing a podcast. You got to be a few episodes ahead (laughs) and then it just flows like new people book. And then we just keep that chain moving 700 plus episodes in. And you don't have to spend a lot. It's, it really becomes the thought that counts and the uniqueness of things. So as an example, my wife's the handyman around the house. She does almost all of the repairs. She enjoys that challenge. One time I got her a hanging light. So that if she was under the sink or somewhere that she could just bring that light and she could hang it. And she thought, that is so cool. I wouldn't have gotten that for myself. So there was really odd and unique things. But it was every week it was fun when I would bring that that bin up. And I will say on the positive side, as a husband, you'll relate to this. If you're having a bad week, you could always say, hey, I got you a gift. <laughs> it made everything better. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got another book here, The Influencer, Secrets to Success and Happiness. Uh, You went the parable style this time. What's your thinking there? I love teaching people about the psychology of persuasion, the science of influence. And I was well aware after having written my first two books that there are some people who will not pick up a heavy business slash psychology book, which my first book influenced people was. And then there are some people who will never pick up a sales book because they'll say, well, I'm not in sales, so I'm not going to pick that book up. And I wanted to reach a wider audience. And I thought, well, most people like stories and the business parable seems to be a very popular genre. So I decided I would give my hand a try at writing that. And I had extra time. You know, we were all locked down for quite a while. And so I used that time productively to write in a story format. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so tell us, for diehard fans of How to Be Awesome at Your Job who have, who have heard you here three times, I think you're the only one who's been here four times. So, so kudos. I just love influence and I love the way you talk about it. So here we are. <laughs> What's something you can share about influence that uh, we haven't heard in, in the first three occasions? And uh, yeah, lay it on us. But one story that really stands out to me is around a character named Al Harris. So let me back up and say that the lead character in the book, John Andrews, you meet him when he's born, you learn a little about his family, he goes off to college learns a little bit about influence in a psych 101 class, but doesn't really get it until he gets out in the work world. And when he gets his job, he starts learning from coaches, mentors, and clients, and really begins to see the application of influence. And one of the people that he meets is Hal Harris. Now, Al is based on a real person, Al Jeanette, that I've known for more than 30 years. And almost every character in the book has its basis in somebody who had an impact on my life. So in the story, 
our lead character, John, meets Al. He's at his medical facility, and when they go to lunch, and he's courting him as a prospective client, he says, Al, I got to ask you something. He goes, I've been to a lot of medical facilities before, but yours really has a family atmosphere. What is it? What's different about your office? And Al says, well, I'm going to let you in on, a, on something I don't tell everybody. I'm alcoholic, hmm. and I try to hire people who are on the path to recovery. And of course, John's a little bit shocked because he doesn't see this guy doesn't seem like he'd be alcoholic. And and so they start to have this conversation. And what Al explains to him is that people, if they can overcome the disease, he feels like working in the medical facility will will be easy for them. And he wants to give them a sense of purpose and and give them some some feelings that maybe they hadn't had before. And so he brings them in. And what John learns is the principle of unity. Because Al lets him know that when I'm helping another alcoholic, it's almost like I'm helping myself. And when that other alcoholic succeeds or or helps me, it's almost like I'm succeeding and they're helping themselves. So we have this unity. And it goes from his head to his heart. That is John. He really all of a sudden's like, I get it now. That this deep, deep connection that you have with other people, what Cialdini calls the principle of unity. And I really learned that from my friend Al, because about three years ago, when I was getting ready to speak at his insurance agency, we were driving into the office and he said, oh, so-and-so that you were bowling with last night, he's a recovering alcoholic. And we had a conversation very similar to what the characters in the book had. And it was really wonderful to be able to honor Al and teach the world what, what Al taught me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's beautiful, the unity notion. And I'm thinking about our conversation with Bob Cialdini. Thanks for introducing us. You're welcome. <laughs> about how, this, I think it was, I'm a student here too like doubled the response rate associated with with asking for something. So so unity is is so powerful. And, and that's a cool way to think about it. It's like in, in helping them, it's like you're helping yourself. And yet, but it's also not selfish at the same time. You know, so unity, cool. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Now, something that was really cool later in the book, as John is mentoring somebody, he thinks this person has a drinking problem and he confronts him about it. And and ultimately, he hooks him up with Al, and Al spends some time with him. And I won't say what, what happens. I'll let readers read about that. But what was really cool, Pete, was I was in Grand Rapids at the end of September to speak at an insurance conference. And I randomly sat down at the bar for dinner one night when I didn't have plans. And the person who was next to me was really drunk. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having a conversation for a couple of hours. And I gave him my business... Hours? Yeah. And okay. I gave him my business card. And I said, I really enjoyed speaking with you tonight and I'd like to stay in touch. You know, now you've got my my number and my email. Well, he connected with me. And ultimately, I connected him with my friend Al. Just like and my wife was like, "Oh my gosh, it's like your book is playing out in real life." So that was really cool. That is cool. Well, and it's I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with a really drunk person for 2 hours. So that's noteworthy in and of itself. It was a god thing. Yeah. What gets shared and and what you cover. So and I'm still in touch with him. He sent me a text yeah. yesterday and said he had gotten my book. And and so who knows, the, that conversation and my connecting him with Al, just like in the book, may set him on a path that changes the course of his life. And that feels good. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And, and so actually, that's the perfect segue, Brian, because that's where I wanted to go next in terms of, so influence, you say, it's not just about getting what you want mm-hmm. or hitting a sales quota or achieving some some career objective. 
but it can, it plays a role in our broader success and happiness. Can you expand upon that? Sure. I know that your listeners, they, they want to be the best they can be at work, but they also want to have a positive impact, positively influence other people. And I think this book, the narrative really shows them how through the arc of their life, influence not only helps them succeed at the office, but can help them succeed at home, whether it's their relationship with their spouse, with their kids, their neighbors. And, and every one of those is a part of this book. John has interaction with a neighbor whose nickname is Bud, and he's based on a real person that I know whose nickname is Pud. And what I saw with Pud was four or five years ago, I went out to San Diego to go to his daughter's wedding, and my wife was with me, and we were in San Diego, and she said, oh, I want to play Torrey Pines, a world-famous golf course where they've played the U.S. Open many times. So my friend, even though his daughter's getting married and he's busy, he said, what time do you need to be at the golf course? Because he had a car. And she said, I need to be there by 6.30. And he's like, I'll be downstairs at 6 o'clock. And, and true to his word, he was. Mm. We went to the golf course. She got on at like a 7 a.m. tea time. And I tell you, Pete, I think he was happier for her than even how happy she was. And it just hit me. He has this rare quality of more joy in his friend's happiness than his own good fortune. Mm. So the character Bud in the book is that comes forth as John interacts with him as a neighbor. And you get to see that giving isn't about what you're going to get from the other person. Most of the time, it's just about the feeling that you get in knowing that you've helped somebody. And then you start to realize your joy is almost unlimited because there's never, uh, there, there's always opportunity to help others. Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful. And then we, as we think about influence principles, like reciprocity, mm-hmm. it's not, it's true that that person, right, with the golf example, well, now she really wants to, <laughs> that guy wants favor, you know, yeah. she's going to hook him up because uh, yeah. that was huge. So there's, there's reciprocity in action mm-hmm. as an influence principle. But in terms of the, the joy from the giving and serving, mm-hmm. that's, it's like, I think of Charlie Sheen being by winning. You're winning twice. Yeah. <laughs> you're winning because you're serving someone and feeling the joy in serving them. And you're winning because you're building reciprocity. So you, you've got some, some trust and relationship yeah. capital there that, yes. uh, that may very well be very helpful when you need to make a request in the future. Yeah. And I hope that people who would read the book would, would really start to lay hold of that in that, yes, reciprocity is a natural human tendency to to feel an obligation to give back when someone first gives to you. And and so we do try to engage that to help people and to maybe make a sale or whatever the things are. But I want people to start getting deeper and start to realize that even though I might get something from that other person, the truth is I will always get something. If I do it in the right spirit, I will get that feeling of joy at knowing that I've helped make somebody else's life better. And my purpose with my business influence people, I always say, is professional success and personal happiness. And I want people to start going, hey, a lot of my happiness is going to come when I get to know and like these people. And then I genuinely want to help them. And I can just step back and feel that joy that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you. Cool. Well, then, so, so tell us, you know, what might be some of the, if we think about uh, John, the protagonist, uh, learning some things in the book and, and having them hit not just the, the head, but the heart. What are some other top lessons learned 
that you think have the capacity to to both improve our, our persuasiveness as well as our happiness and success? Well, in one section, uh, as he is uh, being mentored as a newbie at his role at a medical supply company, he is doing a ride-along with Ben Blackstone. Now, Ben Blackstone is based on a a person I knew, Ben Blackman, who was a a Cialdini student and and very good at utilizing all of the principles. And during this ride-along, he notices that Ben's customers love him. I mean, they just, they really, really like this guy. So, of course, John's this, this young trainee, and, and he says, what's the secret? I mean, your, your customers clearly like you. What do you do to get them to like you? And Ben slyly says, I don't do anything to get them to like me. And of course, John presses. He's like, you must do something because it's so apparent how much they like you. And, and he keeps kind of like playing with them and putting them off like, no, I don't do anything to get them to like me. And then finally, John says, well, then I give up. I'm missing something. And then Ben reveals the secret. And he says, I never do anything to get people to like me. I do everything I can to like the people I'm with. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the game changer with the principle of liking. It's not about me doing what I can, Pete, to get you to think, oh, I'm so cool and you ought to hang out with me. It's me doing everything I can to get to know you and like you and and to find joy in, in our interaction. And I think that's where people, when they sense that, and we all have pretty good BS meters, but when we really believe somebody truly likes us, we become so much more open to the interactions that we have with that person. But the good news is the more I get to know and like you, then I really, really want your best. Mm -hmm. And and that way, whatever I'm putting on the table is received differently to you. And we really create that win-win. Yeah, that is, that's powerful. And, And tell us then, what are some of the best ways that we can get ourselves to like someone else? So one is the curiosity, learning and asking mm-hmm. questions. Yeah. Uh, any particular questions or other ways that we could do develop some more liking for somebody? Well, it's interesting, Pete, that two people can do the same things. So we know with the principle of liking, for example, we find what we have in common, right? If, if we learned that we went to the same university, had the same pet, Uh, grew up in the same hometown, any of those things that we find we have in common, you naturally like me more and I naturally like you more. Or if I pay you a genuine compliment. Now, one person can do it with an intent really to just get something. And if somebody's a used car salesman out there, I'm sorry, but that's quite often what we think of, like the used car salesman who will say or do anything to get you to buy the car. And we can usually sniff that out a mile away. So the difference, I think, is the mindset that we go in. We still want to connect on what we have in common. We want to pay the genuine compliments. We want to look for ways to work together that will lead to success. But I'm not doing it to get you to like me. I'm doing it because I, deep down I'm saying, I want to enjoy the people that I work with, the customers that I serve, the vendors that I deal with. And so I will choose to do this in order to have that enjoyment. And to me, that's the difference maker because it comes across differently at that point. Uh-huh. That's cool. Thank you. So that's a huge in terms of it comes across differently when you do genuinely like them. And so totally, 100%, that makes sense. I guess I'm I'm thinking about (laughs) maybe if there are people 
or people at certain times that you find hard to like. I think about it's funny with holidays, you know, that seems to be a thing. You know, with regards to, uh-oh, Thanksgiving, or Christmas dinner with the un- crazy uncle who has the completely different political or whatever belief that just makes you or everybody else upset. Uh, okay, so I guess that's a trope, but uh, it's the trope we're in during the, this time of year. So, yeah, when, when liking's hard to come by, how do we, as, as authentically as possible, uh, access more of it for somebody? Well, there is a character in the book. Again, based on somebody that I really had difficulty with getting connected to, and his name is Braden. And when John moves into a new role and he begins to interact with this guy, he feels like everything that I do with other people that seems to foster relationship and and help to have good working environment is not working with this guy. So there ends up being an opportunity for him to kind of confront that. And he does so in a soft way, but by asking a question. And he just really says, look, I really try to like the people that I that I work with, but you seem to be very hard to get to know what gives, what, what's up. And, and, he, and he prefaces it with, I'm going to ask you something. And if you're not comfortable, please, then you don't have to answer. But I'm doing what I can to really try to get to know you and, and foster this working relationship. It's not getting anywhere. Is there something I'm missing? And then the guy opens up and he begins to share something. It's almost like the air is let out of a balloon. Somebody is finally showing interest in him and and he opens up. And that opening up really begins to foster a relationship with him. So I share that to say when there are people who are difficult, first of all, always know they're probably difficult for a lot of other people. So don't take it personally. But I really believe if you can break through with those people, that you will find that there's somebody on the other side who is really an awesome person to know, but they're not letting it out. And that can be a self-defense mechanism. It could be that, well, because people don't respond well to them, they just put up this wall and then they can justify it to themselves. Well, I don't need somebody to pat me on the back or I don't need someone to to like me. I'm, I'm okay just the way I am. But really inside, they're desperate for wanting people to connect with them. Uh-huh. That's powerful. Thank you. Well, I don't think we talked much in our previous conversations about how to use the, the contrast principle to be all the more persuasive. Can you speak to that? Sure. So contrast tells us that two things can appear more different depending on how they're presented. You know, an example that I used in one of my other books is if, you know, Pete, if you walked into a store and let's say you're looking at a couch and and I'm the salesperson and you're looking at it and you ask how much the couch is and if I say $799 and then moments later I come back and I say I'm, I'm sorry I made a mistake it's it's $999 suddenly you don't feel very good about that couch but if you're looking at that same couch and I had told you 799 and I come back and I say oh I'm sorry it's it's actually 599 right so what I say first dramatically impacts how you experience what comes next, Mm -hmm. right? That very same couch can be looked at entirely differently based on what it is that I did beforehand. And I think people need to always be aware of this because something that we emphasize when we do in-depth training with people is this. The principles that we talk about may not always be available. You may not have, for example, scarcity. Mm -hmm. Couches. (laughs) Yeah, you may not be able to tap into social proof. But contrast 
is always available because human beings are always making comparisons to things, right? We talk about, is that car expensive or inexpensive? Is he tall or short? Those are comparative statements. And once we realize that, we need to step back and say, well, whatever it is that I might offer or whatever it is that I might ask, how can I, can I put something out that becomes the comparison point so I don't leave it to chance as to what that person may be thinking, but I kind of set the comparison point so that what I present next looks most favorable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, I recently purchased a newer vehicle. It was a Mazda CX-5 and I love it. And it's funny, I've been, we've operated zero cars for a very long time in our household. And then with toddlers and COVID and then moving from Chicago to Tennessee, it's just like sort of changed the game. And so now we have two cars uh, after so long with, with zero cars and that being fine for my Chicago lifestyle. And it's so funny because it's felt pricey, but that it's so relative you know, in terms of like, well, it feels pricey compared to a Chevy Aveo or similar, mm-hmm. the economy class, <laughs> the thing that they they put forward in, in rental cars. But if I look at this relative to some Tesla's uh, Genesis BMW, mm-hmm. I feel like I got quite a bargain. And it's so you're right. Like it completely changes the way you think about it. Like in terms of like, am I being irresponsible and splurging too much versus, wow, I am such a prudent steward of finances and and value seeker. That really resonates. Yeah. And so again, if you're the person who's trying to influence another, what is a legitimate comparison point that you might present that could make whatever it is that you're offering look more valuable? Like you, I got a new car last year, so I've had it for like 15 months now, and it was a really nice car. It's, it's, I've never been a car guy, mm-hmm. and so I never thought I would buy a Lexus. But my wife's father always drove them, and she's like, these are beautiful cars. Once I drove it, I fell in love with it. But what I realized, too, that even though I was paying a good bit more for that car than I had ever for a car, I also started saying, you know what? If this car operates like his have, I'll have this car for at least 10 years because they they are so reliable as long as you maintain them. And, and my wife had had one for a long time and it was a phenomenal car. So that became my comparison point. If I have this thing for 10 years, what I spend on that car is nothing for what I'll get over the life of that car. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So the contrast is really, it's kind of like framing or contextualizing in terms of like how how, how do we frame it in terms of like the lifetime? And it's, and it's funny to talk about cars like Tesla does that with regard to, oh, well, well if you, you take into account the savings you're going to get from governmental electric vehicle support and uh, mm-hmm. gas, it's like, if you play around their website and maybe they've updated it, it, it's kind of funky. It's like, wait a minute, how much money am I really giving you right now <laughs> because of, of how you've presented these figures? So very cool. Thank you. Well, Brian, you tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we hear about a few more of your favorite things. Well, I think we've talked a lot about relationship and and I think that's the foundation of John Andrews and and his success and his happiness. Now all the principles are certainly talked about throughout the book, but what I would encourage people is when we talked about the principle of liking and how important it is to come to like the other person. If you really think about it, Pete, how that informs the other principles because once I really get to know and like you, 
I probably understand how to give better. I understand how to yeah. engage reciprocity in a much more meaningful way. If the more I get to know you, if I want to engage social proof by talking about similar others, well, I know yeah. you, so I know mm -hmm. people who then are similar. If I in utilizing the principle of consistency, you know, what have you said or done or believe? Well, I found that out by getting to know you. So, so for me, it, it is the foundation that the house is built on is, is the principle of liking. And, and even deeper than that, if you want to say the basement would be unity, if you can really find genuine unity with somebody. But I think everything else gets built from that. And I think that in this time, where we are so divided in so many ways, if more people would say every interaction I want to go into, I want to get to know and like these people, even if they look vastly different than me on the surface in terms of their beliefs and their values and things, there have to be things that we also share in common. And can we focus on those to say, even though we're different, I really do like you. I think I think our workplaces, I think our society, I think our world will be much better off. I like that so much in terms of like the relationship and the liking. And I'm thinking in our own in our own podcast operations, we when we invite guests, so sometimes we have incoming pitches, but more and more lately we've been seeking out people proactively based on listener requests for sort of topic areas. And so we'll which is like 10 times, 20 times as hard <laughs> like generating names out of thin air and research, research, research. But uh, I, I think it results in a finer product that listeners love all the more, I hope. <laughs> and and so I think we used to in our, uh, say the come on down, be on the show email, just sort of say, hey, we've interviewed some impressive people like big name, big name, big name. Mm -hmm. And so that that has some power. You know, associated with, oh, those guys are a big deal. And if they said yes, maybe I should say yes to you, like social proof. Mm -hmm. But I think what we've, what we've done is, is make it a little bit more customized in terms of, we now say, and we've interviewed people you know, such as person, 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 mm -hmm. based upon our mutual shared connections on LinkedIn. And even more so, ideally, if it's someone who has endorsed their book, that suggests this is someone you look up to and admire if you request that they endorse your book. And we happen to have them, which after 700 interviews, it, plus it's that's semi-frequent semi nowadays. And as well as the closer they are to their field, like, oh, this person is an academic versus uh, a business leader versus uh, a best-selling author vibes. And I haven't done a hard A-B comparative test, but we have seen our rates of acceptance rise. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's beautiful in terms of, okay, yes. Okay. We're talking about social proof. It's social proof, but it's like social proof plus <laughs> because it's based on doing some extra time and effort and energy mm -hmm. associated with who's this person, who do they know and who might they admire? Yep. I think the extra time and energy is always worth it because people people pick up on that. I mean, I, a very common one is, you know, you mentioned LinkedIn. If I send a request to somebody, I always have a personal message in it. Now, if I'm sending out a lot, I might do a copy and paste. So it might be Pete. I know you were at the conference, yada, yada, yada. Joe, I know you were at the conference, but every person mm -hmm. gets a personal email. And, and I'm very diligent about that. I, I mentioned a conference I spoke at in Grand Rapids. There was about 400 insurance agents there. Every one of them that I could find on LinkedIn, I sent a personal request. And I had hundreds that connected with me. 
those are my potential customers. Those are the people that I could help the most given my background in insurance. So it was totally worth the extra time and effort to go and do that. Absolutely. And O'Brien, it's funny. I've hung around a lot of speakers who are all interested in growing their businesses. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone mention doing that, which makes total sense because they already know you a little bit. They may not have spoken to you, but they they heard you talk for 30 minutes, 60 minutes. So like, oh, Brian, I recognize that name and that face. And I heard him say some things. And I thought he was at least moderately entertaining and insightful, if not epically, unforgettably, you know, entertaining and insightful, which I imagine is the latter in your performances. So it's a far cry from a total cold random mm-hmm. LinkedIn message. And now you're you're connected. And and then they that's like, oh, I know a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a guy who does this stuff. It's like, we've gone from, I saw a guy speak once, what was his name? To, I know a guy and he's in my, my connections. And even if I can't remember your name, you know, three mm-hmm. years from now, <laughs> uh, from that LinkedIn connection, I, can, I know where to dig it up pretty good hard quick. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Pete, I'm heading to Santa Fe next week to work with a small insurance operation. And it's because I reached out and connected with somebody at a conference I spoke at four years ago. And when this person reached back, I honestly didn't remember the name, but I looked and I had sent him a personal and we just didn't have any other interaction beyond that. But he remembered that he liked the talk. And because he was connected, he was able to find me. And that's what led to this great opportunity to go to Santa Fe. So it works, but you can't just look at it and say, well, gosh, I don't have an hour to, to do this or two hours or whatever. You do. If it's important enough, you have the time to do it. And you have to believe you're putting in, you're investing at this point, but it will pay dividends down the road. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thanks. Well, now let's hear, do you have Another favorite quote (laughs) that you might want to share with us. The favorite quote that I share a lot, and this is top of mind right now because I just had coffee with my old high school football coach. And it was 40 years ago now that I played my last game and played under him. And we have stayed in contact since then because he truly cares about his players more than winning games. It's the men we've become, the husbands, the fathers, the business people, productive people in society. And he always told us that opportunity or uh, luck was where preparation and opportunity met. Now, I mistakenly thought he's the one who came up with the quote. Somebody (laughs) told me it was Seneca, the Roman philosopher, but still my coach is the one who imparted it. And because he had such an influence on my life. And I think about that all the time, that whenever an opportunity arises, I need to be ready for that. And so I stay sharp on all the things that I do. If somebody called me tomorrow and said, Brian, could you get on a plane and go here and give a one hour talk? I Boom, I, I'm there because I'm always ready to do those things because of what he impressed upon me. Mm, lovely. And a recent favorite book? A recent favorite other than my book? <laughs> the Influencer Secrets of Success and Happiness. <laughs> I just finished a book called You Have More Influence Than You Think. Oh, yeah. And I heard Vanessa on Mm -hmm. the um, Behavioral Grooves podcast, and it sounded really interesting. So (laughs) I connected with her on LinkedIn, said, hey, I've been on the podcast like you. And so it was a very natural connection, picked up the book. And it was just a different angle of looking at influence. And I found it really, really interesting and the research that she shared. So I would say that's the most recent one. But it really I've read a lot of books over the year, but that one really, really stood out for me. That's right. We had her on the show and uh, it was 
It was thought provoking in, in all the all the best ways. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Well, I'd say connect with me on LinkedIn. And as I did the, probably the first three times, I promised anybody who reaches out, if you don't tell me how you found me, you will get a reply back to say, how did you find me? I'd just like to know why people are reaching out, but it's that opportunity to start some dialogue. If they say, hey, I heard you on Pete's podcast, I'm still going to reply back and say, I love Pete and his show and thank you for reaching out. So there will be personal interaction with me if you do that. And then the other place too is my website, influencepeople.biz. You'll be able to find my my email, my number, if you want to connect with me through that, plus all the resources that are available there. Mm -hmm. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? My call to action would go back to what we've already talked about a lot, that the principle of liking is the foundation that everything else is built upon. And I would just challenge people, if nothing else, that tomorrow, when you go to work or whatever it is that you're going to do, that you pause and tell yourself, I want to like this person that I'm going to interact with. What can I do to connect with them, to compliment them, to get myself to really like them? Because if nothing else, I will enjoy that interaction more. And I think people will be very pleasantly surprised at how people respond when you go in with that attitude. Brian, thank you. This has been a treat. And I wish you lots of more success and adventures and fun in your influencing. Thank you, Pete. I really appreciate it. I really loved Brian's perspective about trying to find the joy in every interaction because there's some there. And by engaging the conversation and getting to a place of, oh, cool, here we are relating, then the liking and the connection brews from which all sorts of other influence opportunities and meaningful connection and investment unfolds. Great stuff from Brian. Once again, again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP739. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.